So we're going to turn to scripture now. If you've got your Bibles um, at home, then do grab them, open them, uh, read around, read it through as I'm speaking. See what the Lord is highlighting to you, what he wants to say to you this morning. We're in our final week of In the Footsteps of Jesus, our sermon series looking at this, just this first part of Mark, the first four chapters. Uh, and this is also the first week of Advent. I'm going to be bringing in some of these Advent themes of hope and peace and joy and love, as you'll see as I speak. But we finish this series with what is probably my my favourite story of Jesus. It is my go-to when I just want to be in awe of who this Jesus really is again. This idea of him stilling the storm is utterly amazing to me, utterly precious, and I hold so tight to this story. Um, but actually, this story is a bit of a conundrum. Because Jesus' actions in this story and the words he says are actually quite unexpected. In fact, they can seem downright confusing and somewhat out of place. Now, one of the most unexpected joys of lockdown, I think, and there aren't many. Well, there are some, but there aren't many. Joys and lockdown don't often go together, do they, in a sentence? Um, But it's the fact that TV has become brilliantly amateur over the last six months. I don't know if, have we got the um, banners working, Richard? Or shall I, uh, we can just, I'll do that with my hand. We can imagine there's a banner there. Yes, intro, not now. Perfect. Thank you, Richard. That's ideal. Um, TV's become really amateur. What used to be really polished and perfect with people sat in a gorgeous studio on high-res cameras with makeup everywhere and high-definition microphones has turned into people zooming in on their mobile phone, all pixelated and garbled, sounding like a Dalek speaking into a dustbin. Um, and behind them, instead of a studio, they've got like their scruffy bed and maybe a pile of clothes. And occasionally we even get the interruption of a parrot or a cat or a dog or even a child coming in to find out what is going on. And that's exactly what happened um, to a, a Sky News correspondent in July. You can look this one up on the Internet afterwards. Um, she was in the middle of quite a serious broadcast about Hong Kong and the situation there. And uh, as she is talking, literally on Sky News Live, her little son comes in, son called Charlie, and uh, he chooses right now to be the time to ask for not just one, but two biscuits. And you can see the horror and panic in her face as she looks down. And she, she wanted to say, not now, Charlie. Don't you realise what's going on? I'm live on TV. Now is not the time. But in her panic, all she can find words for is, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm so embarrassed. Um, uh, two biscuits. Uh, yes, yes, you can have two biscuits. Clever Charlie. Two biscuits. I doubt that's a, a normal thing. If you want two biscuits, come and interrupt me now, kids, if you're listening in the other room, and I will nod my head. You can have whatever you like. Roast chicken, McDonald's, just take it away. Um, now was not the time. That was the issue with little Charlie coming in and asking for the biscuits. And I think that's exactly what Jesus' disciples feel about Jesus' behaviour in this story. Because he was with his disciples in a boat, heading to the other side of the Lake Galilee. Um, but what started as a perfectly normal boat trip quickly turns into a terrifying ordeal that endangers their lives. This was an all-hands-on-deck, total focus, desperate response. You can imagine Jones from Dad's Army running around shouting, don't panic, don't panic. This was serious. 
Yet Jesus' behaviour seemed totally out of line with the situation that was going on around him. Just listen to the contrast in these two verses. I love the juxtaposition of these two verses. Just check this out. Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was near swamped. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Let me read it again. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Amazing. There's a storm and there's a cushion. There's panic and there's rest. A terrifying storm with waves nearly swamping the boat and Jesus asleep on a cushion, no less. It's actually a classic Mark detail. Remember I said right at the beginning of the series, Mark is the shortest, often considered the most snappy and and hurried account of Jesus. Uh, All that he did, his ministry and his teachings. But Mark pops in little details that Matthew and Luke often omit or miss. And the cushion is one of them. Perhaps Peter, who we believe was the one who told to Mark the stories and recounted them of what happened. Perhaps Peter was so incensed by that cushion that he couldn't forget it. You can imagine him. Right, Mark, write this down. There was this storm and then Jesus was at the back. Jesus was at the back, right? He was sleeping. What? He was asleep. What? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. He wasn't just asleep. He was asleep on a cushion, a cushion, snoozing. And you can imagine Mark saying, what? Really? That's that's not appropriate. Didn't he do something? What was happening? And you can imagine and you can understand why the disciples felt so frustrated by this. That cushion, that little detail almost highlights the incredulity felt about how Jesus was behaving. It, it almost highlights the utter incongruence of the two situations, sleeping on a cushion, a storm that's genuinely threatening the lives of everyone. But there he was, their Lord and their saviour, their teacher and their master, sleeping peacefully on a cushion right in the middle of a storm that terrified them. So what's going on here? Well, let's have a little explore together this morning and we'll realise that Jesus wasn't misunderstanding the situation here. His behaviour wasn't just out of line. In fact, he was modelling something profound to those disciples and actually to every disciple who would ever seek to follow him, as we do. He was modelling something about how we react when the storms of life come, because they do come. You know they do, and I know they do. And they come again, and they come again. Jesus told us that would be the case for each one of us. And in these storm-like situations, maybe you're facing one now. And I guess in many ways, the whole nation is, the whole world is. There's a natural temptation in each of us to give in to despair, to react in turmoil, to feel abandoned. To give in to despair, to react in turmoil, to feel abandoned, just like the disciples did. And yet Jesus is teaching us here with his head on that cushion that there is another way, another reality, another truth, another response which is accessible to every believer. And instead of giving in to despair, we might learn to be held by hope. Instead of reacting in turmoil, we might release, know and release God's peace. And instead of feeling abandoned, we might utterly 
be rooted in God's love. So let's look briefly at these three aspects together. Once again, learn from Jesus, our teacher and master, as we seek to see the way he sees, as we seek to act the way he acts. We seek to understand how he understands and we seek to walk and follow in his footsteps as he inspires us and enables us to. So first things first, held by hope. There's no pretending that this isn't a terrifying situation, okay? This is a genuine problem. It's a proper scary life moment, actually. What's fascinating to me is it must have been a proper scary storm for these seasoned fishermen to panic and be terrified in the way that they are. Storms were not uncommon on Lake Galilee. The way it is uh, surrounded by uh, high mountains with valleys that the wind would fly in through and get caught up and swept up on the lake very quickly. It could go from calm to terrifying. But this one must have been different. The Bible calls it a furious school. It tells us that waves were breaking over the boat and pretty much causing it to sink. They were in serious, serious danger. And these fishermen knew it. I don't know if you've ever been on an aeroplane and been in turmoil. I was once at turmoil. <laughs> turbulence. Maybe turmoil and turbulence. Um, I was on one once where, where there was such bad turbulence that the whole plane at the same time screamed like on a roller coaster. All of our bellies went into our head. We just dropped out of the air. But you look around in moments like that at the cabin stuff, don't you? And you see if they're okay. And if they're just smiling and nodding, you smile and nod and pretend that you're not scared of their inside. You go, ah. But if they're looking scared, then you know, oh, it's time to panic. And actually in this one, when the fishermen, when the seasoned, hardened, seafaring fishermen are terrified, thinking they're going to die, you know you're in real trouble on the boat. In fact, they've got to the point where they actually think there is no hope left for any of them. That the boat is going to break and sink under the battering of the waves or be submerged and they're actually going to die. They're no doubt soaked through to the bone, freezing cold, taking on water, shouting, choking, desperately holding onto the sides of the boat for dear life. They're in utter despair. And so as a last resort, almost seeing Jesus still sleeping on that cushion in the back of the boat, they wake him up and they have a go at him basically. I don't pop over to him, gently place a hand on his shoulder and whisper, I wonder, Master, if you'd be awfully kind just to help us in this situation. No, they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? We're going to die. They're resigned to the fact. Jesus may as well know it's the end of the road. There's no hope left for any of them. But what they are yet to learn, remember, this is early days for the disciples in Mark's account of their discipleship with Jesus. What they are yet to learn is that when you put your trust and your hope in Jesus, there is always hope. When you put your trust in Jesus, there is always hope in every situation. You see, despair is so easy to give into when the storms of life come. The easiest thing to do is to let hopelessness overwhelm me or you. Swamp us like the waves were swamping the boat. Especially when in the natural order of things, we simply cannot see a way through the storm, the challenge, the pain, the worry, the hurt, the brokenness. When we rely solely on our human intellect and reasoning and experience, there will come times in our lives so difficult, so painful, so terrifying that despair may begin to overwhelm us. 
There simply is no hope. We can see no hope at all. But actually, when we put our trust in Jesus, friends, there is always hope. When we turn to Jesus, we realise we're turning to the one who transforms even the very darkest moment in all of history into a moment of hope. That moment where the beloved Son of God hung there on that cross, having had his skin torn apart, having had his breath beaten out of him, having had cruel nails slammed through his limbs. The Son of God who had done no wrong, who had come to love us and cheer us and help us and show us the Father. He was now spat at, humiliated, in agony, dying on that cross. And in that moment, the earth shook and the sun even went dark at the hopelessness of it all. And yet, even in that moment, hope reigned. People didn't know it at the time, but hope reigned because God reigns. Hope reigned because God reigns. And even death itself, that final foe, that dark despair of hopelessness was beaten by Jesus. Death itself loses its sting with Jesus. Even death, when we come to the end of our time, becomes a moment of hope as we await eternal life of being with the Father, of celebration and joy like we could never imagine. You see, hope in that moment on the cross was actually breaking into the pages of history and into the hearts of every believer and it would never, ever go again. You see, when you put your trust in Jesus, there is always hope and it's not a vain hope or an unrealistic hope or a stupid hope or a foolish hope. It is a hope we can utterly hold on to and actually it is a hope that utterly holds on to us. Because when Jesus is by our side, hope cannot leave us because Jesus will not leave us. When all around seems to be failing and breaking and hurting, hope holds us tight and refuses to give way because Jesus holds us tight and cannot be beaten. Nothing can separate us from his love. When writing to Timothy at the beginning of his first letter, Paul doesn't just say Jesus gives us hope or brings us hope, but like we just sung in our service, Jesus is hope. Jesus is our hope. And that's the first thing Jesus wanted his disciples to realise in this terrifying storm situation. And it's something he wants you and I to know too. Can I ask you honestly this morning, what do you put your hope in right now? Or perhaps more importantly, who do you put your hope in? Do you feel any sense of hope at all? Are you facing a situation where you've given up hope? Can I say that simple truth to you this morning when we put our trust in Jesus? There is always hope. Doesn't mean there will be no storms. It doesn't mean they'll always end the way we might want them to. It doesn't mean that they're not serious. We don't deny storms are real, but we refuse to let despair reign. As Christians, followers of Jesus, we refuse to let despair reign. Because in every situation, when we realise Jesus is with us, hope is with us, even to the end of our lives on this earth. When we go and be with the Lord until he makes all things new. Friends, 
hear the truth this morning. There is hope. Hope for our future. Hope for our present. Hope for this church. Hope for our families. Hope for our marriages. Hope for our loved ones, our relatives, our friends, our communities, our nation. Hope for our world. Hope because with Jesus there is always hope. The light shines in the darkness. It has not been overcome. It cannot be overcome. So instead of giving into despair, Jesus wants us to be held by hope when the storms of life come. But the next thing we learn from Jesus' example here, that instead of reacting in turmoil, we can actually know and release God's peace in a storm situation. Let's go back to the boat for a moment. The next banner, please, Richard. So we go back to the boat and yes, there's Jesus. And yes, there he is with his cushion snuggled up in a terrifying storm, snoozing and resting and sleeping. Now, perhaps he's just sleeping because he's really tired. But if you think about it, and I am just exploring this idea here. If the storm was as bad as it seems to be, then even if he was exhausted, he's going to be jostled about enormously, soaking wet from the waves. He's going to be surrounded by the shouts and sounds of winds and terrified disciples. It seems likely to me that he's going to at least stir for a moment or two and hear that something's going on. But for some reason, he is not disturbed. For some reason, he doesn't get up or fully awaken. What's he up to here? What's he modelling to his disciples? What we see here is that while the world around him is in turmoil, Jesus knows and dwells in the perfect peace of the kingdom of heaven. He who once laid his head on the hay, sleeping peacefully, yet surrounded by fear and brokenness, murder and violence, animals, dung, poverty, this same one is now sleeping, this time on a cushion, and all around him the storms of life roar. But how? How can he sleep at a time like this? Well, the truth is, such is the peace that Jesus knows and carries inside. Such is the reality and presence of peace within him that he is able to sleep in the storm even when all around are panicking. But eventually Jesus is awoken by his disciples. They confront him with despair um, and now they tell him that he has absolutely no right to be snoozing on that cushion. No right to any sense of peace. Don't you care we're dying? It is time to panic. So what are Jesus' options here? Well, as far as I can see, if we didn't know what was going to happen, we'd say there were two, right? One, get practical, or two, get praying. One, Get practical, run around, help them bail out the water, try and keep the spirits up, tell them to hold fast, we're going to make it. Two, just get on your knees in the middle of that boat and get praying to Heavenly Father fervently. I wonder which one you'd do. Perhaps a mixture of the two. I think I'd probably get really practical whilst praying at the same time if I could. But interestingly, Jesus does neither. He does something totally unexpected. He stands up and he tells off the storm. I love this. He stands up and the Bible says he severely charges the wind. He rebukes it and he says to the waves, silence, be still, enough, 
Be muzzled is what the Greek literally means. Be muzzled and remain so. Not just for a moment, but that's you done. The language hints that Jesus recognised a spiritual dynamic at work here in this particular storm. And so he takes authority over it. And in one word from Jesus, the whole storm stops. And the disciples simply cannot believe it. You see, from the beginning, the wild untamed storms of the sea were always seen in the ancient Near Eastern culture as symbols of the untamed forces of chaos in the spiritual realms that only God himself could ever subdue or tame or bring order to, just like he did at the beginning in Genesis, where he brought order to the world he created. And yet here, with one word, one sentence, the storms listen to Jesus. The one who created all things by his word now speaks to the very creation he made. The one who brought order to all that is good now restores order once again to the sea. The one who was in the beginning, who was with God, who is God, speaks peace and the storm listens. But when he speaks peace to the storm, all of heaven backs up his word. Enough, no more. Peace, be still, be muzzled and remain so. And the Bible says, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. In that very moment, the internal reality of peace, which Jesus carried and new, which dwells in him, is now released. The peace of heaven invades earth. The seas and the wind are brought into alignment with the desire and will and kingdom of God. He rises from a place of utter rest and peace and releases that rest and peace into the reality around him. And the disciples are in awe. I mean, it is just amazing. It's an astonishingly powerful moment. It's my possibly one of my favourite moments in the whole of Scripture. Jesus, our Saviour, the stiller of storms. One word from the King and the forces of nature, the forces of darkness, the forces of the enemy come into light. Peace be still, and they were. Peace be still, and they do. So what about the disciples? What's Jesus going to say to them now? After all, surely they've done pretty well here. And when you think about it, I've heard Bill Johnson preach on this. A great preach, actually. He's done it a few times. And say they actually do everything that we think a good Christian should do in this situation. They're in a difficult situation, so they talk to Jesus. And in their own panicky, shouty way, they ask him for help. Talking to Jesus, who is God, in situations where we're struggling, asking for his help sounds familiar, doesn't it? It even has a special word. It's called prayer. So surely Jesus is going to say, well done for asking, guys. You did the right thing. But actually Jesus tells them off. Says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I mean, the afraid thing I can sort of understand, perhaps they should have been less afraid if Jesus was with them. And I'm pretty sure I'd have been terrified too in those early days as a disciple. You just didn't know what was going on. But what about the suggestion that they have no faith? Surely going to God with Well, talking to God and asking for his help is what faith is. Well, perhaps there's a hint of something else here. Perhaps Jesus was showing them how they themselves also could have and should have responded in this situation. Not just to ask Jesus to calm the storm, but to realise that by their faith in God, that they too had the authority to carry and release God's peace themselves. 
You see, Mark tells us that there were other boats around out there with them, no doubt in trouble too. And all the eyes of the other boats would have been looking to the disciples of Jesus. Jesus is asleep. They're looking to see what's going on. And all they see is the disciples panicking. You see, Jesus, you see the contrast between Jesus response and his disciples responses doesn't just show us how amazing Jesus is, but it also shows us how far these disciples yet had to go in their discipleship and becoming more like him. All through this series, we've talked about following in the footsteps of Jesus, of longing to be more like him. And it is the great desire of every born again believer to let God work in us by his Holy Spirit, that you and I might become more like Jesus. But if we're going to become more like Jesus as he models in this moment, in this situation, then could it be that when Jesus tells them, where is your faith? He's actually wanting them to realize that they too could have spoken to the storm with the authority he gave them in his name. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, that we are filled with the same spirit of Christ. The Bible tells us that you and I are heated in the hev- seated in the heated, yeah, sure, seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. It says we have been given authority and the commission, the great mission to join with Jesus, filled with his spirit in seeking his kingdom break into this world, not just in theory, but in reality and in power. Jesus said that you and I would do the same things he has done and even greater. Why? Because of the spirit who now dwells within us, that he has poured out upon us. And Jesus said that he gave us a gift that passes all understanding. What is that gift? It was the gift that enabled him to sleep on that cushion and speak to that storm. The gift of peace that he carried and released now dwells in us. So friends, when you're facing a storm, Often you are going to really want to get practical. We don't deny vaccines. We pray for doctors and vaccines. We take practical steps. So much of the Bible is full of earthy, real wisdom. God is in that wisdom. We bail out the water. We maintain the ship. We take care of the people. We're also going to want to get praying. That is our great task. To get asking for God's help, to seek his heart, to look for guidance, his powerful hand at work, to expect him to be moving. But sometimes when we're in the middle of a storm, the thing that God may tell us that we need to do is to see it and understand it like Jesus did. To see what's happening in the spiritual realm, the spiritual dynamic, and then from a place of peace and faith, not from fear and striving and shouting and anxiety, but from peace and faith, we take authority over it. Speak to the storm and we rebuke it. Enough. Peace. Be still. Be muzzled and remain so. Sometimes the thing Jesus is wanting to teach us isn't just to shout and panic and scream and fret. Not to react in turmoil to the storm around us, but to know and release the powerful reality of God's peace. And so in this amazing moment where Jesus' behaviour both at first confuses and amazes us, We see that by it, he's actually demonstrating a reality that we as his followers can know. He's modelling a way that you and I also can respond. If we're going to be like him, then we don't want to be giving in to despair. We want to be held by hope. Rather than responding in turmoil, we are to release, to know and release God's peace. Yet for the disciples in this moment, still soaking wet, breathless, browbeaten, they probably wouldn't have realised or couldn't have realised what Jesus was showing them, the full depth of what he's saying here and modelling to them, that this was a way open to them as well. 
For them in this moment, all they could do was just be terrified. They're in awe. Who on earth is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's so clear in this early days of discipleship with Jesus. They had so much to learn about who Jesus really is. And to be honest, so do I still. I have a life of learning this. And then in all eternity to get to know the fullness of who he is. So do I. So do we all. They also had so much to learn about who they really were and who they were becoming in him. As do I. As do we all. But even if they had grasped the idea this example that Jesus was showing them by his actions, they soon would have realised that having hope that never disappoints and a peace that passes all understanding aren't just things you learn or skills you acquire. They're not ideas or techniques or theories you can switch on or sign up to. They are realities. They are realities that only come from a real relationship with Father God, from being rooted in his love, just like Jesus was. Now, being rooted in the Father's love didn't mean that Jesus was immune to struggle or pain or disappointment. Quite the opposite. That's what he came to enter into, to experience with us, to overcome for us. He wasn't immune to storms, He wasn't lying in the boat thinking, oh, well, the storm doesn't really matter. He was waiting, sleeping, resting, teaching, modelling. The storm was real. But being rooted in love, the love of the Father, what it did mean is that far deeper than all these things was this hope and peace that came from knowing just how loved he was. This is my son whom I love, Father God declared over him. And so when the disciples had given into despair, Jesus was held by hope. They reacted in turmoil while Jesus knew and released God's peace. And they had felt abandoned whilst Jesus was rooted in the Father's love for him the whole time. That cushion in many ways was a picture of being loved even in the middle of the storm. And it was this love of the Father that Jesus came to show us. It was this relationship with Father that Jesus came to make possible. And so this is the place that we all need to start at the beginning of this Advent. We will wonder again as Advent goes on at the one who came to reveal the Father to us. We will reflect again on the hope that Jesus is, the peace that he alone gives, the joy that he alone brings, the love that he alone invites us to know and carry, to dwell in and be rooted in. As we draw near to Jesus this Advent, we can know that he and the Father will draw near to us. Jesus replied, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, they will keep my word. They'll do the things I did. They'll say the things I said. They will follow the teachings I gave. And my Father will love them, Jesus said. And we, Father and Son, will come to them and make our home with them by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So I want to finish this morning by saying in all of this, hope and peace do not exist outside of knowing you and I are really loved. They are not things we can strive for or achieve. They're not arbitrary 
but they are powerfully and deeply and eternally ours through our relationship with the one who created us. For many of us, when things feel hard, we immediately feel like a stomach punch within us. We despair, we begin to doubt who we are, the calling on our lives, the worth of who we are. We believe we're abandoned, we panic, we run around the boat thinking we're totally alone in the storm, that God doesn't care, all sense of relationship we may have once had with God goes out the window and we rush around. And we forget the most basic yet most significant thing of all, that we are loved, that you are loved. That we are never abandoned, never forsaken, never forgotten, never overlooked. We are totally and utterly loved. I wonder, does it feel like you're going through a storm right now? This Advent, if you are, if you're feeling jostled, if you're feeling battered and uncertain by what we're going on as, uh, through as a nation, by what you're going through personally in your family or yourself, whatever it might be, then the first thing to do is to refine your hope, refine your peace, refine these promised realities of God, and you will find that they are only found in the presence and love of Father God as revealed to us by Jesus. If you feel out of sorts and knocked off balance, then go back to your cushion and rest a while. If you've wandered from Father God, then say sorry and come back close. Recognise the lies you've been believing and claim again the hope that is yours in Jesus. And enter back into that peace that passes understanding that is only found under the shelter of God. We're going to sing now in a moment. But let me finish with these words of scripture. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, just like Jesus did. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. To be held by hope, to release, to know and release God's peace, to be rooted in God's love is to be like Jesus. So at the beginning of this Advent, we say, come Lord Jesus and reveal the Father afresh to us. Amen.